truths. Another. Man is a strange animal and makes strange use of his own nature and the various arts and likes particularly to produce some new experiment to show his parts. This is the age of oddities let loose, where different talents find their different marks. You best begin with truth, and when you've lost your labour, there's a sure market for imposture. What opposite discoveries we have seen, signs of true genius and of empty pockets. One makes new noses, one a guillotine. One breaks your bones, one sets them in their sockets. But vaccination certainly has been a kind antithesis to Congreve's rockets with which the doctor paid off an old pox by borrowing a new one from an ox. Bread has been made indifferent from potatoes and galvanism has set some corpses grinning but has not answered like the apparatus of the humane society's beginning by which men are unsuffocated gratis. What wondrous new machines have late been spinning I said the smallpox was gone of late, perhaps it may be followed by the great. Tis said the great came from America, perhaps it may set out on its return. The population there so spreads, they say, tis grown high time to thin in its turn, with war or plague or famine anyway, so that civilization they may learn, and which in ravage the more loathsome evil is, there we'll lose, or our sadocyphilis. This is the patent age of new inventions for killing bodies and for saving souls, all propagated with the best intentions, Sir Humphrey Davies' lantern, by which coals are safely mined for in the mode he mentions, Timbuktu travels, voyages to the poles, a waste of benefit mankind is true, perhaps a shooting them at Waterloo. Man's a phenomenon, one knows not what, and wonderful beyond a wondrous measure, Tis pity though in this sublime world that pleasure's a sin and sometimes sin's a pleasure. Few mortals know what end they would be at, but whether glory, power, or love or treasure, the path is through perplexing ways, and when the goal is gained we die, you know. And then what then? I do not know, no more do you, and so good night, return we to our story. Twas in November, when fine days are few, and the far mountains wax a little hoary and clap a white cape on their mantles blue, and the sea dashes round the promontory, and the loud breaker boils against the rock, and sober suns must set at five o'clock. T'was, as watchmen say, a cloudy night, no moon, no stars, the wind was low or loud, by gusts, and many a sparkling hearth was bright, with the piled wood round which the family crowd, there's something cheerful in that sort of light. Even as the summer skies without a cloud, I'm fond of fire and crickets and all that, I loves the salad and champagne and chat. T'was midnight and Dollar Julia was in bed, sleeping most probably when at her door a rose of clatter might awake the dead if they had ever been awoke before, and that they may have been so we have all read, I'd are to be so at least once more. The door was fastened but with voice and fist, first knocks were heard, then, Madam, Madam, hissed. For God's sake, Madam, Madam, here's my master, with more than half the city at his back, 
was ever heard of such a cursed disaster. Tis not my fault, I kept good watch, alack. You pray undo the bolt a little faster. They're on the stair just now, and in a crack we'll all be here. Perhaps he may yet fly. Surely the window's not so very high. By this time, Don Alfonso was arrived with Torch's friends and servants in great number. The major part of them had long been wived, and therefore paused not to disturb the slumber of any wicked woman who contrived by stealth her husband's temples to encumber. Examples of this kind are so contagious, were one not punished, all would be outrageous. I can't tell how or why or what suspicion could enter in Don Alfonso's head, but for a cavalier of his condition, it surely was exceedingly ill-bred, without a word of previous admonition, to hold a levy round his lady's bed, and summon lackeys armed with fire and sword, to prove himself the thing he most abhorred. Poor Donna Julia, start, starting us from sleep, mind that I do not say she had not slept, began at once to scream and yawn and weep. Her maid Antonia, who was an adept, contrived to fling the bedclothes in a heap, as if she had just done now from the, the outcrept. As if she had just now from out them crept, I can't tell why she would take all this trouble to prove her mistress had been sleeping double. But Julia mistress and Antonia maid appeared like two poor harmless women who of goblins, but still more of men afraid, had thought of one man might be deterred by two, and therefore side by side were gently laid, until the hours of absence should run through, and truant husband should return and say, My dear, I was the first who came away. Now Julia found that length of voice and cried, In heaven's name, Don Alfonso, what do you mean? Has madness seized you? Would that I had died ere such a monster's victim I had been, what made this midnight violence betide, a sudden fit of drunkenness or spleen? Dare you suspect me whom the fault would kill? Search then the room, Alfonso said, I will. He searched, they searched, and rummaged everywhere, closet and cloth press, chest and window seat, and found much linen, lace and several pair of stockings, slippers, brushes, combs complete, with other articles as ladies fair, to keep them beautiful or leave them neat. Arrays they pricked and curtains with their sword, and wounded several shutters and some boards. Under the bed they searched, and there they found, no matter what, it was not what they sought. They opened windows, gazing if the ground had signs or footmarks, but the earth had said naught, and then they stared each other's faces round. It is odd, not one of these, all, not all of these seekers fought, and seemed to be almost a sort of blunder of looking in the bed as well as under. During this inquisition, Julia's tongue would not, was not asleep. Yes, search and search, she cried. Insult on insult heap, and wrong on wrong. It was for this that I became a bride. For this in silence I had suffered long, a husband like Alfonso at my side. But now I'll bear no more, nor here remain, if there be law or lawyers in all Spain. Speech delivered on Emancipation Day at Liberty Hall in New York City, January the 1st, 1922. Fifty-nine years ago, Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, declaring four million Negroes in this country free. Several years prior to that, Queen Victoria of England signed the Emancipation Proclamation that set at liberty hundreds of thousands of West Indian Negro slaves. West Indian Negroes celebrate their emancipation on the first day of August of every year, the American Negroes celebrate their emancipation on the 1st of January every year. Tonight we are here to celebrate the emancipation of the slaves in this country.
We are the descendants of the men and women who suffered in this country for 250 years under that barbarous, that brutal institution known as slavery. You who have not lost trace of your history will recall the fact that over 300 years ago your forebears were taken from the great continent of Africa and brought here for the purpose of using them as slaves. Without mercy, without any sympathy, they worked our forebears. They suffered, they bled, they died. But with their sufferings, with their blood, which they shed in their death, they had a hope that one day their prosperity would be free. And we are assembled here tonight as the children of their hope. I trust each and every one of you, therefore, will realise that you have a duty which is incumbent upon you, a duty that you must perform, because our forebears who suffered, who bled, who died, had hopes that are not yet complete, completely realised. They hoped that we as their children would be free, but they also hoped that their country from whence they came would also be free to their children, their grandchildren and great-grandchildren, at some future time. It's for the freedom of that country, that motherland of ours, that four and a half million Negroes, as members of the Universal Negro Improvement Association, are labouring today. The race of ours, this race of ours, gave civilization, gave art, gave science, gave literature to the world, but it has been the way with races and nations. The one race stands out prominently in the one century, or in the one age, and in another century or age it passes off the stage of action, and another race takes its place. The Negro once occupied a high position in the world, scientifically, artistically and commercially, but in the balancing of the great scale of evolution, we lost our place and someone other than ourselves occupies the stand we once held. God never intended that man should enslave his fellow, and the price of such a sin or such a violation of heaven's law must be paid by everyone. As for me, because of the blessed past, because of the history that I know, so long as there is within me the breath of life and the spirit of God, I shall struggle on and urge others of our race to struggle on to see that justice is done to the black peoples of the world. Yes, we appreciate the sorrows of the past, and we are going to work in the present that the sorrows of our generation shall not be perpetuated in the future. On the contrary, we shall strive that by our labours, succeeding generations of our own shall call us blessed, even as we call the generation of the past blessed today. And they indeed were blessed. They were blessed with a patience not yet known to man, a patience that enabled them to endure the tortures and the sufferings of slavery for 250 years. Why? Was it because they loved slavery so? No, it was because they loved this generation more. Isn't it wonderful? Transcendent. What then are you going to do to show your appreciation of this love? What gratitude are you going to manifest in return for what they have done for you? As for me, knowing the sufferings of my forefathers, I shall give back to Africa that liberty that she once enjoyed hundreds of years ago, before her own sons and daughters were taken from her shores and brought in chains to this western world. No better gift can I give in honour of the memory of the love of my foreparents for me, and in gratitude of the sufferings they endured that I might be free. No grander gift can I bear to the sacred memory of the generation past than a free and redeemed Africa, a monument for all eternity, for all times. As by the action of the world, as by the conduct of all the races and nations, it is apparent that not one of them has the sense of justice, the sense of love, the sense of equity, the sense of charity that would make men happy and make God satisfied. It is apparent that it is left to the Negro to play such a part in human affairs, for when we look to the Anglo-Saxon we see him full of greed, avarice, no mercy, no love, no charity. 
We go from the white man to the yellow man, and we see the same unenviable characteristics in the Japanese. Therefore, we must believe that the psalmist had great hopes of, his, of this race of ours when he prophesied, Princes shall come out of Egypt and Ethiopia, shall stretch forth her hands unto God. Princes shall come out of Egypt, and Ethiopia shall stretch forth her hands unto God. If humanity is regarded as made up of the children of God, and God loves all humanity, we all know that, then God will be more pleased with that race that protects all humanity than with the race that outrages the children of God. And so tonight we celebrate the anniversary of our emancipation. We do it not with regret. On the contrary, we do it with an abiding confidence, a hope and faith in ourselves and in our God. And the faith that we have is a faith that will ultimately take us back to the ancient place, the ancient position that we once occupied when Ethiopia was in her glory.